Next Sunday, we're going to do a three-week series on how to turn worry into worship. This morning, if you have your Bibles with you, we are taking a look at the last part of the book of Ruth. And I would encourage you to turn with me. We're going to be looking particularly at uh, verses 18 to 22. And in a moment, you're going to kind of look and say, well, what in the world or how in the world are we going to do anything with that? And my prayer this morning is not to miss this last part, because this last part is the piece that puts the puzzle together. We've been traveling through the book of Ruth, and for those of you that have been with us, we know that the story is one of which individuals are living in the town of Bethlehem. There is a famine in the land, and therefore they have to leave the land and go about 50 miles to an area called Moab. Now, 50 miles for us is not that far. It's maybe just heading into Des Moines. But what we have to remember and recognize is that during this time, or this period, this would be as if we moved from, say, Iowa to a completely different land. It would be as if we moved down to Latin America or South America or to the Orient. Very different for the people of God. And in an effort to essentially move to greener pastures, we see or pick up the story that Elimelech and his family went to Moab. Now we also know that during this time, this story occurs under the period known as the Judges. That's important to remember because the book of Judges and the period of the Judges is sort of a time in which God's people were not obeying God, and it was a very dark time spiritually for the people of God. And the people of God were crying out, the true believers in Yahweh were crying out for a righteous king to lead them. Don't miss that point. With this, Elimelech goes, life is good, things seem to be going well, and then obviously we've gone through the story, and a situation turns from desperate to desolate to utter despair. Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, passes away. The two sons of Elimelech, who married Moabite women, also pass away. And that's important to know because during this time, males or the male heir were the providers, the protectors for the family. To lose a husband was obviously difficult, but then to lose one's sons and have no protection or provision was a absolute, desperate, desolate, and destitute situation for Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. We come to find out, obviously, that Naomi goes to Ruth and Orpah, the two Moabite women, and says, hey, simple as this. There's nothing wrong. We've gone through a difficult situation. Why don't you return back to Moab, meaning to some men in Moab, and see if you can find yourself a husband? Because what I'm telling you is, is that if you were to wait for me, even if I was to marry today and then to have a child, you are going to remain destitute and in despair for an extended period of time. And there's no guarantee that this would occur. Very logical, very real. In fact, in a temporal way, uh, sort of a, yeah, that's what we should do. That seems it's like the right thing for that individual or those individuals to do. So Orpah, whom we've come to discover, actually means the back of the neck, and that's what she's remembered for, takes Naomi up on this offer, and she says, okay, uh, I'm going to go and do this. What we see in the beginning of the story is Orpah just essentially exits off the stage and we know nothing more about her. But Ruth, a Moabite woman, now here's the thing. What we need to remember is this. This is during a period of judges and God's people okay, are having a hard time worshiping God. It's a dark time spiritually for the people of God. But the Moabites... You want to talk about spiritually dark people? I mean, there's dark people who are worshiping God, but the Moabites, in their culture, and forgive me, but they were trash. 
They were individuals who were essentially worshiping a God, and how they worshiped, I'll just leave it here, was through sexual expression with multiple partners. That's how they worshiped. These were the people of Moab. And so a Moabite woman who has become married to an Israelite man has now lost her husband. Naomi, essentially the matriarch of the story, has lost her husband. Orpah has exited the scene, and things are looking bleak. Then in a manner of trust, faith, and obedience, faith says these words. Naomi, I'm going to go with you. And your people will become my people. And your God will become my God. Completely illogical. <coughs> Completely crazy. Completely a step of faith. Ruth travels back with Naomi to the land of Bethlehem. They settle in. And what we know is Ruth begins to glean in the field of Boaz. We've learned that gleaning in the field was essentially a provision from the biblical law where individuals who were destitute and depraved could come along during the harvest. And after the harvesters essentially did their things, these people who were poor could glean what was left over. This was essentially God's way through the Levitical law of providing for people who were destitute and distraught. So Ruth goes out hoping that maybe she can get just a little bit of food to fill her belly. Maybe she could maybe get a little bit for Naomi. But there's no great promise. But we also learned that it just so happens that Ruth is just so happening to glean in the field of Boaz. And it just so happens that Boaz takes notice of Ruth. Now, Boaz was a man of great standing, essentially, a man of favor, a man of valor, a man who essentially lived for God. It's kind of a word that is encompassing all of these aspects. And he looks at Ruth and he says, I've heard about her, I've heard about what's happened her and to Naomi. And here's the thing. Number one, I want to protect her because gleaning in the field was a dangerous thing, particularly for a woman. Other males who might have been destitute would be gleaning in the field as well, and it would be easy for them to take advantage of her. So he says, number one, you're not to have anyone lay a hand on her. You're to protect her. But number two, he says, we're going to provide for her. She's not just going to glean in the field and get the leftovers, but she's going to move forward and she's going to become one of the harvesters and she's going to receive the first fruits of the harvest to the point that what she gleans is way beyond any manner of abundance. It's enough for her and for Naomi for months. And so they're provided for. But the problem still remains that once the harvest is over, what will happen? Where will they go? What will God do? Because things seem to be getting a little bit better. But the clock is running out. We've talked about essentially turning moments of pain into understanding the grace and mercy and love of God. There might be some of you out there this morning that are struggling. You might be going through a difficult time in your life. You might be going through a painful loss. You might be going through something similar to what Naomi and Ruth experienced. It might be the loss of a loved one through essentially death. It might be the loss of a relationship, a broken marriage. It might be the loss of a child. It might be the loss of a job. It might be a combination of those things to where you feel like Naomi or Ruth saying, you know what, God, I've been doing everything I can to be faithful to you. I've been doing everything I can to try to just make my life happen. And just out of the blue, I've been blown over by what? Life. Anybody feel that way sometimes? Where the pain is just too much? What I love about the story of Ruth is that God's sovereign plan 
brings about redemption and restoration beyond anything that we can possibly imagine. And the completeness and the wholeness of that redemption and restoration should blow our minds. Because God is the one who is in control, and God is the restorer, and God is the redeemer, and it is whole, and it is complete, and it is beautiful when we look at what God is doing through the story of Ruth. This morning, we're going to ask this question, and again, it's sort of the summative aspect of the book and the series that we've been talking about, God's goodness and grace in the midst of life's pain. And that's simply this, that when life brings us pain, how can we trust in God's provision, protection, goodness, and grace? I don't need to see hands raised, but has anybody gone through a painful situation in their life that was unexpected? Has anybody questioned God's goodness, love, mercy, and grace during that time? This is the story for us. This is the joy of the book of Ruth. In a moment, we're going to be looking essentially at the last couple of verses, verses 18 through 22. And we're going to look and we're going to say, what in the world are you doing with a genealogy? Now, remember in the story of Ruth that we talked about the fact that Naomi and Ruth were destitute, that they met Boaz, who was essentially a man of stature, but it just so happens also that Boaz is known as a kinsman redeemer. And what this is, is this was an aspect in the Levitical law where a relative of a family member who had passed away could, through the law, redeem these individuals and provide protection and provision for them, but then also maintain the land rights of the family that originally owned it, meaning Elimelech. So that's a temporal aspect that they could do. We've discovered that essentially, after a period of mourning, Naomi says to Ruth, you know what, it's time. The harvest is over. They are essentially gathering the harvest. I want you to go and I want you to look at where Boaz is. And when he lies down, I want you to go over to him and lie down at his feet. Now, we've talked about this in chapter 3, and I'm just going to leave it at this. This is a pretty sensually heated potential scenario, okay? This could get very rated R very quickly. But what I want to show you is that while that could occur, as the story continues, the morality of Boaz and the morality of Ruth are un question and uncompromised. It's a beautiful story about the purity of both individuals who remain Boaz, faithful to his God, whom uh, Ruth remains faithful to the God in whom she's trusted and honor him through their actions. Boaz essentially says to uh, Ruth, yep, I am the kinsman redeemer. I could redeem you. But I also want you to let you know that because I love God and I love his law, there is another who is closer than I. So we get excited, the story's happening, we're like, hey, everything's going to occur, Ruth's going to marry Boaz, they're going to go off, they're going to live happy ever after, let's just end the story, it's awesome, and then all of a sudden, crisis, you mean there's another redeemer who's closer? I don't even know the guy. And Boaz steps back in honoring God to say, let him be the one who has first rights of refusal. Last week, we've seen a story essentially where Boaz goes forward. He goes to this individual and he says, hey, I just want to let you know that you are the nearest of kin. And there's an opportunity for you. There's an opportunity for you to redeem essentially Elimelech's land. And this individual says, sweet, I'll do it. Because it's profitable for this individual. So I will redeem it. And then he says, oh, P.S., by the way, with the land comes Ruth. What? You mean there's more to this story? Oh, no, 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 sorry, I can't do that. 
I'm not going to move forward in that aspect of redemption. We're going to look at that in just a moment in terms of the heart of this individual and the result that occurs. And so Boaz says, I will redeem. I will take the cost. I will pay the price to redeem Ruth to myself. And they take off the sandal, which essentially was the custom of the time, to lay the deal down. And I won't come forward because my shoes kind of smell. <laughs> the deal is signed. And they go off and they live happily ever after. And the story of Ruth ends. No, it doesn't. One of the things that we do in this story is, is we look at the book of Ruth and we're so excited to see that finally Ruth has a husband, Ruth has a protector, and Ruth has a provider. And you would think, essentially, that when they are, quote-unquote, married and they're together, that the story would end. But then we move forward with this genealogy. Names. Hard names to pronounce. Anybody like genealogies? You're going to love this genealogy when we're done. Let's take a moment and let's look. Let's pick up in verse 18. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Nimdadab. Nimdadab, the father of Nashon, or Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Big deal. No. Big deal. Let's take a moment and look. First and foremost, we're going to look this morning at essentially five redeemers. Five kinsmen redeemers and what their actions are and the results that occur. And it's going to demonstrate to us God's wholeness, God's completeness, God's sovereignty, and God's grace in our redemption back to Him. First and foremost, you'll remember the first Redeemer. The first Redeemer essentially is the first in line, the first who has the Levitical right to redeem Ruth. And here's what's funny. What we're going to recognize about this individual as the Hebrew word termed, is that this individual is called a palomi maloni, or a piece of baloney. Okay? It's a play on words, a friend. Why is that important? The reason here is that that word essentially in modern times means, Mr. What's-His-Name? It's this. Redeemer What's-His-Name. His action of redemption comes from a desire for personal gain. And this is important to see because the writer of Ruth essentially utilizes this term, friend or Mr. What's-His-Name. Why is that important? Because this individual is an important story. It's almost a glance over. It's almost that they're, they're, they're paying due, the writer, to the truth of the story. But this individual's actions don't warrant them being accredited by name for what they do. It's Mr. What's-His-Name. And here's why. Because this individual wants to redeem, essentially, the aspect of the loss of Naomi and Ruth for profit or personal gain. Now, we don't know for sure we don't know that this individual maybe didn't redeem Ruth because he was married, or maybe he didn't redeem Ruth because he just didn't want to do so. But, interestingly enough, you would think that if this person could not redeem Ruth because of another godly aspect, that the writer would have said so. Hey, this person chose not to redeem Ruth because he already had a wife, or he couldn't because of X, long or Y reason. But the writer doesn't give credence to that, which most likely demonstrates that the morality of this person, while being godly, following godly law, following the Levitical law, 
Say, yes, I will redeem. I will get the land. I will take the profit. But then when they discover that there's more to it, that there's a personal cost that ensues, so that I don't want anything to do with it. I'm done. What's the result? Redeemer, what's his name? What is the result of his action? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Enter in, opportunity to redeem, opportunity to bring about restoration for these individuals who are hurting and needing. I'm going to do it because I'm going to get the land. I'm going to receive personal gain. I'm going to elevate my status. But wait, there's a cost. You mean I've got to marry Ruth and provide for her and take care of Naomi and all of this kind of stuff? I don't want anything to do with that. So what is the meaning? Think about our hearts. And let's see a difference in the actions of Redeemer What's-His-Name versus the actions of Redeemer Boaz. We then pick up, we recognize that Redeemer What's-His-Name essentially says, no, I'm not going to redeem Ruth. I'm done, I'm out of here. And they exit. And so what they're credited with is being accounted in the story but they don't even get their name. And what you have to understand is that in this time, for someone just to say, yep, Mr. What's-His-Name, it wasn't even, hey, it was Trevor, right? It's just Mr. What's-His-Name is the action of the demonstration that this person's actions are so inconsequential and so insignificant that will put them in the story to demonstrate that Boaz was actually an honorable man, but this Mr. What's-His-Name He doesn't. He honors Ruth. 
But not only does he honor Ruth, he protects and provides for her, who's a Moabite. Then, we may assume that he might have, quote-unquote, feelings for Ruth. But in honoring God, he could have, if he wanted to, said, you know, there's another redeemer in line that's closer, but I'm just not going to say anything because I don't think anybody's paying attention. I'm just going to redeem her for myself. I'm just going to do it my way. <coughs> but no. Boaz steps back. And even though there might be desire, even though there might be this, uh, just sweep it under the rug, he says no. There is a closer redeemer. And I'm going to honor God, and I'm going to honor God's law, and I'm going to trust in the situation that if that is what God wants, if that is what God has, then that redeemer will come forward and redeem Ruth. And if it isn't, then God has another plan. But it's God's plan, not my own. And so hence, we come to the story, and he says, there is another redeemer, and that's redeemer Mr. What's-His-Name. Mr. What's-His-Name goes for personal gain. When he comes and discovers that it's going to be costly for him, he says, I don't want anything to do with it. And by trusting and obeying God, Boaz comes forward and redeems Ruth. As what we call the goel, okay? That's the Hebrew word for relational redeemer. And it's a beautiful story. What does this action do? What is the action and the result of Redeemer Boaz's heartfelt desire to redeem Ruth back to himself by obeying God? The result is this. This provides protection and provision for Ruth and Naomi. It's a beautiful story. It's a wonderful thing. It's, you know, they once were destitute, they once were lost, and now Ruth has a husband and Naomi is provided for, and they're going to be okay. They're going to be fine. So we're looking at this, and we're seeing, okay, that's a great story, right? They're provided for. But this is where the story gets all the much better, and this is what I want you to hear this morning. Some of you might be here this morning wondering about the redemption and love of God and His restoration of you back to Himself. And this is where we see the wholeness and the completeness of the redemption active of God in a manner that blows our mind because his story is way better than we can possibly imagine. This story right here, right? This is a great love story. This is a great, forgive the term, okay? But it's a great, excuse me, but chick flick. Okay? I mean, sleepless in Seattle, you know, guy loses girl, girl comes back, there's a, you know, a, a problem. It's any, like, holiday Christmas story, right? They come back, and there's this, and then they get married, and everybody's happy, and then they, 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 you know, movie ends. But this story doesn't end here. This is where it actually gets good. And it's in the genealogy that we discover the fullness of God's plan and the fullness of God's restoration and his redemption. We look at Redeemer What's-His-Name. And we look at Redeemer Boaz. And there's a couple of things that I want to show you. We see that Boaz's result provides protection and provision for Ruth and Naomi. What is this meaning of the action? I'm going to walk through this for a minute. Boaz obeyed the letter of the law out of love for God and his neighbor. He walked with God and he obeyed God's law out of heart for God. Mr. What's-His-Name, obeyed God's law. He knew the law. He knew that he could redeem and get the prophet. But it was out of a desire for personal gain. Do you see the difference? So here's a question for us. What motivates your obedience to God? 
want you to search your heart right now. And I'm not saying this is not a be-like, okay? Sometimes these be-like sermons, you're like, well, should I be like this here, but not like that there? But this is a deep question just to look at in your heart. Are you more leaning towards sort of Mr. What's-His-Name? Or are you leaning toward Redeemer Boaz? Are you here just for personal gain? Are you here just to look good? Are you here just to get something for yourself out of worshiping God? Are you just a babe hoping that in so doing you might have a better X or a better Y? Or are you here out of a real heart to honor and obey and bring glory to God? Because that's Boaz. And lovingly, lovingly I tell you, do you want to quote unquote, and this is just, do you want to be recorded as a Boaz? Or do you want to be recorded as a Mr. What's-His-Name or a Mrs. What's-His-Name? A point of reflection. God is looking for obedience to His law that proceeds from heartfelt worship. God wants your heart, not just your head or your hands. That's the key. Now, we need to have head and hands, but if our heart isn't there, it doesn't mean a thing. Because Mr. What's-His-Name had a head and hands, and he gets recorded as a Polony Maloney or a piece of Polony. But Boaz was a man who honored God. And then we get into this genealogy, and we see, again, this is where we're picking up in this verses. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aninadab, Aninadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed. Redeemer Obed, the third redeemer. Redeemer Obed's action of redemption comes from being born into a godly family. Ruth, Boaz have union. Ruth had said, your people will be my people, your God my God. Boaz was a man of great standing. Boaz was a man after God's own heart. Boaz honored God's law. And why is this important? So the story could end. But you know what? Yes, it was great that Ruth and Boaz got married. And then they died. So what's Obed's part in this? Obed is born as a result of a godly family, but the result of this action is this. This provides a male heir and restoration of the family's lineage. Obed is the male heir that carries the family line forward. Because two people love God, obey God, and God bless. Now watch this. Temporally, God has taken a situation in which Naomi was destitute and distraught, lost her husband, in which her quote-unquote daughters-in-laws had lost their husband, and they were gone. They had nothing left. And now God has said, not only will I provide for you a godly man, but I'm going to restore the family line through Obed. This is huge in Old Testament time because people were blessed, were known as blessed, by family and land. That's how God said, my hand rests on you. So temporally speaking, God has totally put back this situation way better than you could possibly imagine. Not only do you have a husband, but now you have a family line and your land is secure. It will be secure through Obed. Temporally awesome. An even better movie, isn't it? But God doesn't stop there either. Without Obed, the family name would have been lost. As the son given to Boaz and Ruth, Obed brings continued goodness and grace, not just to Boaz, Ruth and Naomi, but to the entire family's future. 
God says, not only am I going to protect and provide for you now, I'm going to protect and provide for your family later. This is what I love. And perhaps as little as a year, okay, as we look at this story, timelines may vary a little bit, but in as little of a year, think through this for a minute. Through God's goodness and grace, life had gone from a wretched emptiness to a blessed fullness for Naomi and Ruth. And we see that in the scripture. We see that from emptiness. My heart is empty. That's exactly what Naomi says. There's nothing left. There's absolutely nowhere for me to go. Two, my heart is full. Not just full temporally, but full beyond you can possibly imagine. We have a redeemer in Boaz. We have a redeemer in Obed. My family line is secure. And this is what I want to tell you this morning. We're learning and seeing how in God's motion, in his movement, in his action, your story, you might be in the middle of something gut-wrenching right now. You might be coming out of something gut-wrenching right now. You might be wondering where God is and what he is doing. And I can promise you that if you move and are obedient like Boaz and Ruth, God will restore in a manner that you can't possibly believe. This is not prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about you'll be wealthy, healthy, and wise, but God will do great things through your obedience and bless you beyond measure in ways that you can't possibly imagine because we're going to see in a moment God's not done. We move forward and we read, Boaz, the father of Obed, over the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Don't read it that way. Jesse, the father of David. Read it this way. Jesse, the father of David. And here's why. Redeemer David, action of redemption, comes from a man who is after God's own heart. We read about David and we know in scripture that he was a man after God's own heart. This is the climax of the story. This, not Ruth and Boaz getting married. This is the climax, and here's why. It ends with David. And now we all know who David is, right? But why is this important? The result is this. This provides and restores the nation of Israel with a royal redeemer king that the period of Judges and Ruth had cried out for. Don't miss this. God not only says, through the hurt and the pain and the loss of Naomi and Ruth, am I going to provide for them, but I'm going to provide for their family, and then I'm going to provide for the nation of Israel, for whom of which you have been crying out for years for a righteous king to rule, guide, and lead the nation of Israel. This is the climax. This is the point of the story. In reality, the genealogy is the climax of the book. David, a man after God's own heart, ruled Israel in covenant faithfulness and restored blessing to God's discouraged, oppressed, and depressed people. Do you see the fullness of the redemption and the restoration that God is doing through his plan via Boaz and Ruth and their obedience to him? Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz went through an incredibly difficult time not knowing, think about this, not knowing that the righteous king that they had longed for was just a generation or two away. You had gone from a dry time spiritually, a time when people were moving away from God. You had gone from a destitute, desolate land to losing your husband and what? Your children, the male heirs. 
to now being redeemed by Boaz, family security through Obed, and now the nation of Israel through David has a righteous king that will rule them for years. God's got his hand on this. And God's action of redemption and restoration is way better than we can possibly ever think or imagine. Ruth, from the book of Ruth, teaches us that we need to trust God even when life is messy. Anybody's life messy right now? Because he knows what he is doing. We need to trust God amid life's pain because he will bring about mercy, grace, restoration for all who will believe. God will do it. God will do it wholly and completely. God will do it for Boaz and Ruth. He did it for Obed. He did it for David. And he did it for God's people. But God says, I'm not done yet either. Because David was an earthly king. And as great as David was, we know that all kings die when what? The king dies away. But what do we also know about David? That he is the line to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our final redeemer. And that's where this story truly gets good. Redeemer number five is this. Redeemer Christ's action of redemption comes from his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. And the verses in here is the Bible. This is where the story of Ruth fits in. This is where we see how Ruth fits in, not only to the Old Testament, but it also fits into what we call the meta-narrative or the great drama of redemption for God's people. We come to discover that through the outsider, the destitute loser of Ruth, a Moabite, an ungodly person who chooses to be obedient to the people of God and to God himself, he says, that's the one. That's the one who will carry the line and bring about the lineage of David from whom then the Savior, Messiah, Jesus, will arise. Now, I'm not Ruth. But there are times man, in my life where I feel like a Moabite. I feel like an outsider. I feel like somebody that doesn't deserve the grace and mercy of God. And there have been painful situations in my life and I look back at this book and I say, God, if you've done it for Ruth, you can do it for me. And when I look at my life and how God has restored and blessed and what I am destined for because of Jesus, it's an unbelievable, great story. And my prayer for us this morning is, is that you will see that as a believer in Jesus Christ, your redemption and restoration is as whole as that of Boaz, Naomi's, Ruth's, and whomever believes in Jesus. What is the result of Christ's action? Through the mercy and grace of Jesus, this provides us with a means to have our sins forgiven. And you'll notice, essentially, the title of today's message, and restoration, and restore us to a right relationship with God. This is even better. Because what we come to discover is that while as amazing a story of Ruth is, of how God provides for Ruth and Naomi temporally, how he gives them a redeemer in Boaz, how he protects the family lineage in Obed, how he gives them a righteous ruler king in David, God takes it a step further through Jesus and he says, I'm going to sign, seal, and deliver this forever for God's people for whom all will believe. Their inheritance is secure in me. They will have me as their king. I will not die. I am the great I am. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I am the redeemer, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And as you see, I will take great cost for you because you are worth it. And I will go to the cross and die upon it for you, so that you, who are destitute, desolate, and destroyed, with no hope, can have fullness, completeness, goodness, mercy, and grace through my action of redemption. And I will buy you completely and wholly, and that will rest on your hands forever, and you will be mine, and your inheritance is secure.
That's the joy of the story. I don't know what you might be going through right now. I don't know if you're going through a painful time in your life. I don't know if you're coming out of a painful time in your life. But I guarantee you that if any of you live life, you hear me lovingly, if any of you live life and you've not experienced some form of pain, I question if you truly are living. It's just life. But in those moments of pain, when we trust and obey God, God can do great things. And perhaps in those moments where we go through pain is the moment when God grabs our heart and it turns from a Redeemer, what's his name, who just obeys the Bible because that's what they do, but doesn't have a heart for worship, to actually having a heart for God because of who he is and what he does. I've said before that the, the, the most heartfelt people, many a times, for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, are the individuals who have gone through the most gut-wrenching situations, the most painful situations in their lives, that they've trusted in him, they've walked with him, and they've seen God work in their lives. And as we look at the story of Ruth, we see the redemptive action of God in a manner that is whole and complete beyond what we can possibly imagine. This story, as I said before, was good enough if, right, the guy gets the girl. Right? Great story. I mean, we'll put it out. It'll actually probably be a number one bestseller on Netflix. Ruth. But God says, no, this is even better. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to protect their family line. I'm going to give them a righteous temporal king. But then through them, I'm going to give them a righteous eternal king. So that all the outsiders, all the unworthy, can inherit what Ruth inherits by saying simply this, your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Father, forgive me of my sins, forgive me for what I've done, forgive me for walking in my own Moabite way, worshiping my own gods, and may I turn to you, and may you be mine, and may I trust in what you do. I don't know where it will go. I don't know how it will end. But I guarantee you that whatever end it will be, it, can be, it will be better than the end that I can make for myself. And that's what God does. Through the mercy and grace of Jesus, this provides us with a means to have our sins forgiven and restore us to our right relationship with God. You are now his child when you put your faith and trust in him. You have an eternal inheritance, and it will not be taken away. You will receive the words, well done, good and faithful servant, through your trust and obedience to God. You're restored whole. You're protected and provided for completely. Through the ultimate Redeemer number five, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As good as Redeemer one, well, one is Mr. What's-His-Name, is two, three, and four are the greatest Redeemer is our Savior Jesus. We can look at the book of Hebrews, and that's what essentially shows us about how unbelievable or the best of the best Jesus is. That's the kinsman redeemer that we're talking about, the go-out. And the theme of the go-out, okay, the Hebrew word for redeemer is all throughout Scripture. It echoes time and time again for a go-out, 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 relative, a redeemer, a restorer. And the go-out turns and becomes the Messiah, our Savior, Jesus. My Goel, my Redeemer, is my Savior from a position of destitution, desolation, and desperateness. Way worse, way worse than the situation that Ruth and Naomi were in. Because I am dead in my sin without opportunity to restore myself in any way possible. There are no means for me to essentially come back to the family of God in my own accord. But the Goel Redeemer Jesus comes and says at great price, 
I will buy him. I will buy you. And the cost for that is my life. The cost for that is humiliation. The cost for that is my separation from my father. But you are worth it because I love you. And I will redeem you. And I will redeem you wholly and completely so that you will see my goodness, mercy, and grace when you trust and believe. This morning we've looked essentially at a genealogy and we've kind of wondered what is that all about. And this is what I would encourage you. Don't ever miss genealogies. I, I get it. A lot of times when you look at genealogies, you're like, hard name after hard name, you can't pronounce a name after this name, this guy after that guy, you make up funny things like baloney, baloney is a piece of baloney. But don't miss the genealogy, because in the genealogy is the truthfulness of the story. It puts the book of Ruth through the reality of what is there, and it shows us God's sovereign plan of how he acts through time. And if God acts, acted sovereignly here, he will continue to act sovereignly there, and what I mean by that is into the future. One of the things, too, as we travel essentially from Ruth into Habakkuk, is helping us to see that if God can do this here, he can do it anywhere. And in those moments of pain, in those moments of desolation, those moments of destitution, your life is whole, and God's got a great plan. So as we transition into Habakkuk, may we turn worry into worship. This morning, essentially, the last thing I want to leave you with is this, and it's essentially the theme of this eight-week series, that when life brings about pain, which it will, I hate to be a buzzkill, but it will, remember the book of Ruth and God's perfect plan. Remember his goodness and grace. And then let go and let God. Because he is the ultimate redeemer, uh, uh, redeemer and ultimate restorer. That's who we have through our go out, our Savior Jesus, our kinsman redeemer.